Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Once again, welcome. We're really glad that every single one of you is here this morning. We hope that you are connecting with God, connecting with the people around you, and connecting with your own heart and soul in a way that's going to help transform you and help you become more like Jesus. This is why we do everything we do here. This is what the Bible describes, all these processes it describes, and we refer to those as spiritual disciplines. There's also some really cool ceremonies that we go through that we've made up. The spiritual disciplines like prayer and uh, fasting and tithing, a bunch of those are, they started before the Bible started being written down. We see them described and they go all the way through the Bible and they've been practiced ever since. Some spiritual disciplines were created by Jesus and commanded by him, like communion and baptism. But there are others that are very meaningful that help us do those three things. They connect us with God, they connect us with other Christians, And they connect us with our own hearts and help us uh, apply God's truth. One of those that I love a lot is Advent. And depending on what your church background is, you may think that we're really, really casual about Advent and just don't do it right. Or you might not even know what Advent is. But basically all it is, it's a thing where we try to remember specific things as we prepare our hearts to remember Jesus' birth. Last week we lit the candle of hope and promise. And it reminds us that God all along had promised that he would send a savior and he did. And all the other promises that he ever makes us, he's going to keep. This time we, we have lit the candle of, uh, pre- sorry, I can't say it. The candle of preparation, the one of, that we actually have some things that he expects us to do to get together. And the, the big fulfillment of that in the story of Jesus' birth is, of course, John the Baptist coming. And we're going to read together. If you would, I'd like you to stand again. We're going to stand and read this scripture together. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. It's a prophecy about that, but it's also got some other deeper applications for us as well. But let's read this together. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Thank you. Please be seated, but don't get too comfortable because I don't want you to miss anything. This is, this is important. No, go ahead. Get comfortable. That'd be great. We all have wastelands in our lives. We all have rough edges. We all have mountains that if God's going to really change us, it's going to, he's going to have to level them out. We've all got some valleys that he's going to have to fill in. And there are parts of that that only he can do. There are some things that only Jesus Christ himself, his spirit inside of us, only his sacrifice that he made long ago, the reason Christmas matters so much, only that makes any of this possible. But there are other things, just like what John the Baptist's job was, there are other things that he asked us to do. And every single choice that we make matters. It doesn't all depend on us, it all depends on him. But because we obey him, because he commanded us to do certain things and stay away from certain things, every choice we make matters. Every time we choose sin, it weakens us just a little bit. Make us just a little bit more likely to sin the next time. 
Every time we choose to reject sin, it makes us just a little bit stronger and a little less likely to sin the next time. Every time we choose to do something right, whether we feel like it or not, whether we want to do it or not, whether it's hard or not, whether it's a struggle or not, but we do it because it's the right thing and we're obedient to God, that makes us stronger. That draws us closer to Him. Every choice matters. And how many know that this is genuinely a struggle? It's hard, isn't it? It's no accident that Paul and many others in Scripture use images of warfare to describe this. In Ephesians 6, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I believe that he's talking absolutely not only about just our struggle with other people, where it seems like we're struggling against other people, but it's actually spiritual Warfare. It's actually the devil trying to tear them and us apart. I think it also is our own battles with our own flesh and blood, our own mind, our own heart, our own desires. But all of those things, there's a human factor, there's a, there's a very we're in charge of these choices factor, and then there's a God part of it that only he can do. And when we work with him, real progress can be made. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line, or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Like all the seven deadly sins, lust is not just one little thing that we can check off of a list or move to this list or change around. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. It's a perspective. It is a lifestyle. It is a way of believing. It's a toxic attitude. It kills and stills and destroys and it turns good things that God loves and God created and God even commanded into bad things that rip us apart. Just like gluttony, it does this every single time. Lust attacks naturally even holy desires. It short circuits God's design. It replaces them with and the healthy rewards they normally would give us with cravings and actions that destroy relationships. And just like all of these seven deadly sins we've been walking through, this is why God hates them so much. Does he hate the actual actions? Absolutely. But what he really hates is that they destroy us. What he really hates is they keep us from experiencing what he had planned on the other side of those. The reason that he hates them so much is because they warp us and twist us and they steal the joy that he wanted to give us. What we all really want is not so much sex or any other element of romance. What we really want is love and trust and respect. That's what all humans want. We want love and trust and respect. Now I've heard many times that um, I think men tend to want respect even more out of all those three. And women want unconditional love out of all those three if they could only have one. I'm not sure if that's true. Most of the men and women I know kind of, it seems kind of accurate. Here's what I know. We're all male and female made in the image of God. And we all need all those three because God needs all those three. That's real. But when we give ourselves over to lust, here's what it does. Lust destroys our ability to love other people as people. 
We see them as objects. It's hard to give love or to receive love if all we're trying to do that through the grid we're loving through is just lust. Lust also, um, it takes away our ability to trust others and it destroys their ability to trust us. It's really hard to respect ourselves or to respect someone else that you know has completely given themselves over to lust, even if they know that's going to destroy their relationship with you. So that's why God hates it so much. He knows it's going to rip all the stuff that he created us to really want, created us to really experience and really have, uses some of the exact same things that he created to make all that possible and make that all more fun. It turns it all around and turns it into stuff that just rips it apart and makes it impossible for us to experience it at all. C.S. Lewis again, he says, A lustful man wants a pleasure for which a woman happens to be the necessary piece of apparatus. That's hard to sound out, say out loud. That's just gross. But that's exactly what we do when we treat anybody, male or female, when either of us treat the other, when we treat each other as objects, as apparatuses, that's exactly what happens. We're not loving them. We're loving something else, and they're just a means to get something that we want. Lust trades intimacy for just experiences. And feeding our lust creates addictions that limit and derail relationships. I want to get to the good stuff as soon as possible. Can you agree with me that we have got to break free from lust in every area of our lives? The second that we start justifying whatever it is that we're doing, well, I only do this. I, it's not like I've ever done that. It's, you know, th this is only this. Well, yeah, well, at least I don't. We've already gone too far. We're, we're standing on the side of a sin instead of the side of God. We're standing on the side of the thing that's going to destroy our relationships rather than the thing that's going to heal them. Or, or build them and make them stronger. And that is why Jesus also spoke this way about this issue. He said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Every time I've ever read that out loud or, or heard anyone else share it, I, I, I always feel compelled and they always feel compelled to kind of defend Jesus a little bit. It's okay, boys and girls. Jesus really doesn't want you to cut your hands off, right? He's not, Jesus isn't violent. Everybody, 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 no. Jesus loves you. Jesus is kind. He does, he's not violent. Yes, and Jesus is smart. Jesus knows that if the problem is really in your head and in your heart, that cutting out your eye or cutting off your hand isn't going to fix it. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that. But I think sometimes what we do is we, we concentrate so much on trying to reassure everybody that Jesus can't possibly mean what he seems to be saying that we miss what he's saying. What he's saying is, and this should sound very familiar to anybody who was camped this summer, what he's saying is do whatever it takes to break free from your sin. It's probably going to hurt. It's probably going to cost you something. It's probably going to happen in a way that other people are going to ask you about it later. 
What happened there? What's that about? It's probably going to be violent. I don't think Jesus especially, I don't think his dream is that we cut off body parts. And I think he is wise enough to know that that's not going to solve the problem. But don't miss what he's trying to say. He's saying, get serious about this. Do whatever it takes. This is too serious. This is too big of a deal for us to just kind of la 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 go through life. It's not like Jesus really wants us to bless. Yes, he does. He wants you to do whatever it takes to break free. Not just of this sin, but of any sin. Let's talk about Jesus himself for a second, just a second. Can you imagine someone who had that much strength, that much confidence, someone who is that pure, that trustworthy? Can you imagine how attractive he must have been to all the broken people he hung out with all the time? In Hebrews, it tells us very clearly that Jesus was tested in every single way, just as we are. And I guarantee you, he had a lot of temptations in this area. It's just he did whatever it took to stay pure. He did something that none of us could. The Bible actually says, I, I use this same picture throughout this particular series just for to kind of a mental scaffolding thing. I want us to just go back and remember other sermons maybe or something that's subliminal. But actually, this guy's a little bit too good looking to be Jesus, I think. The Bible actually says that it wasn't his physical attractiveness that drew people to him. He wasn't especially good looking or especially physically imposing or anything like that but it was this goodness and it was this reality of him and he was willing to do that and the ultimate example of him doing whatever it took to break free from sin was this one thing that only he could do for any of us and that was the cross his death and his burial and resurrection. You talk about something that was painful. You talk about something that was embarrassing. You talk about something that was shameful. You talk about something that just nobody could understand what was going on. You talk about something that just, how in the world would you ever be willing to go through that? It, how in the world? And yet he was willing to do whatever it took. He knew that only he could do that part of what it's going to take for us to break free from sin. And he did it. On the flip side of that, we look back at David. David was in so many ways a wonderful example. And yet at this one spot of his life, he really had given himself over completely to sin. And as we've talked several times over the last several weeks, the seven deadly sins are just manifestations of sin itself, the sinful nature that is in us, that, that could completely control us if it weren't for Jesus breaking its power and then us daily choosing to do these things that he's asked us to do to live free from sin. But at this point in his life, he had given himself over to the whole thing. Think about it. Pride is basically saying, I know God says this, but I think this and I'm going to go with my thing. 100%. Envy is saying, hey, you know what? That person has something that I don't have. And if God was really good, and if God were really just, I would have that, not them. Because I know better than God about what I deserve. Envy. Absolutely. It's exactly what David's doing at that moment. Lust, I don't think I need to explain that. Gluttony, greed, same thing. David actually had a whole bunch of wives at this point. It was legal, it was accepted, it was expected at this time. That doesn't make it right. 
But he had a whole bunch of women. He had a whole bunch of sex. He had a whole bunch of this stuff. And it had fed him in a way and taken him in directions he shouldn't have gone, even though it was legal, even though nobody was judging him for that yet. And when he got caught in this sin, his wrath boiled up. And he, was, he actually like messed up a whole bunch of people's lives, including getting somebody killed so he could steal his wife. Completely broken, completely off to the dark side in this moment. I don't know where any of you guys are coming from this morning. I don't know what kind of losses and victories God has brought you through even this week or where you've been over the course of your life. I don't know which of these manifestations of sin makes you struggle the worst. I don't know the choices you've made day to day. I don't know that. But here's what I know. Two things. God has really long arms. Are you with me on this? If his arm was long enough to reach David at this moment, his arm of love and joy and mercy and redemption and power and healing is long enough to reach you. That is a real hope and that is a real thing. And you've got to trust that. and You've got to realize that that is there for you. You've also got to know, and David also experienced this here, that God's arm of justice, the long arm of the law, if you will, is also just as long. And you're not going to get by with it forever. Even if if you never get caught, it's going to eat you alive. It's going to destroy your ability to love and your ability to be loved, your ability to trust and be trusted, your ability to enjoy what God has created you to enjoy. One of the most powerful spiritual disciplines to break through lust is accountability and confession and all the other parts that have to do with fellowship. James 5, 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has a great power and produces wonderful results. I highly recommend this. And these days we live in an era where technology can even help us with that. In your bulletin insert, on the other side of the, the, the sermon outline, is a list of very specific spiritual disciplines that we're re- recommending this week. Ways to use these things, to, these very practical things God has given us to actually break through. And on there you will see two websites or apps. It's the same thing. The, the website does it, the app does it. One is called Covenant Eyes, and the other is called X3 Watch. I highly recommend both of these, because here's why. If you're actually an addict to anything, and somebody says, here's this wall you can't break through, guess what you're going to do? You're going to try and break through that wall. This is not rocket science. That's how, that's how that works. But both of these, they don't try to set up some sort of a grid on your computer that you can't hack through. What they set up is that across all the gadgets that you use... It just simply keeps track, and there's no way to hack into it. At the end of every week, it sends a little email to someone that you love and trust and says, by the way, this is where they went this week. And just knowing that, just knowing that can really, really help you stay away from where you shouldn't go or help you stop going there. I highly recommend that. 
But let's focus on the stuff that God actually really wants us to focus on this morning. We've got to break free from lust. We've got to break free from the power of sin. But the reason, again, that he hates it so much is because it distracts us and ruins our ability to do the stuff he loves. And the reason he wants us to break free is so that we can be free to do the real stuff, the stuff that he loves and designed for us. One of those things we need to focus on is chastity. We don't use this word a whole lot. Um, most of the time these days when we hear it, it's a girl's name. I think it's a really pretty name. It's a great thing. But chastity is basically just purity. And in this case, it refers to sexual purity. Your mind, your heart, your body, every part of you, you're pure there. But it really just means purity across the board. If you're a pure person, if you are experiencing and choosing and living in chastity, you are, your sexuality is just a symptom of that. In other words, your purity, your, your purity in the sexual area of your life is going to be an offshoot of that that is really who you are. Purity means that you're not only clean or untainted by contaminants, but also that you're just 100%. You are what you are. Chaste people are free. They're able to truly love. Chaste people see other people as people, not as possible tools to use to find pleasure. They seek ways to serve and to bless others, not just to get their own desires met by others. Sex as God designed it is physical and emotional and spiritual and even holy. Chaste people get to experience that within the context that God created it. 1 Corinthians 7, the whole chapter is very practical advice from the Apostle Paul for people in a bunch of different areas of life. And I highly recommend that. We're not going to walk through all of that. Uh, together this morning. One of the things he does mention is that sex itself is supposed to be a symbol of God in the church. And however, how, how that sounds so weird to us because most of the time when we hear anybody talking about sexuality at all, it's in the context of sin or it's in the context of why we shouldn't sin or it's in context of why sin is okay now or something like that. That's why we normally hear that. And so we're like, what, what, what? But we miss that. Proverbs 5 and Song of Solomon, all these that I'm kind of just throwing out there, those are all in your bulletin insert. I hope you go back and read those later on your own. But again, we're trying to go in the happy direction here. We're trying to focus on the good stuff. So everybody, can you, would you just take a big deep breath with me and let it out? Just try this. Are we okay? We're still good? This is kind of rough, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, let's go to some country music for a second. We're not going to sing this song really, but this is it. This is actually, one. Of, like I said, most of the time when we hear um, these kind of things talked about, love, romance, sex, any of that stuff, it's usually there's some sin involved. And that's why it sounds inappropriate. That's why it feels so awkward. One of the few exceptions that I've heard, I really like this song. Has anybody heard this song, Your Man by Josh Turner? It's like, he's got this really deep voice. If you've never heard it, you'd hear it. I can't do it like he does. It's like, baby, lock the door and turn the lights down low. It's, it's, it's a really cool song. But listen to some of the lyrics in the middle. There's this, this is kind of a, he says, ain't nobody ever loved nobody the way that I love you. That's some serious redneck poetry right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> What he's saying is, you know what I love about us? I love that it's not like anybody else. What I have with you is something that I can only have with you. We have something unique. You're not interchangeable. You're not somebody that I could switch you out for. We have something that's just us. 
Later on in the song, he says, actually, it's part of the chorus. He says it over and over. He says, you have no idea how it turns me on just to be your man. That's what he likes. I'm yours. This thing that we're enjoying, it's the whole thing we're enjoying. It's not just the sex part of it. You're mine and I'm yours. We have something unique. There's the two of us against the world. There's something going on here that's, that's just great. And that's why I'm so excited to get home from work today. That's how the song goes. Are you with me? Another thing at, 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 uh, as we, <laughs> the weird segue here, but I promise you it works. Go back to Advent. Another one of the scriptures that we look at every single time at this second week, if you, the, the Catholic churches and all the Protestant churches that do practice this, that, that some of the scriptures they always use is Luke 1, 26 to 38. This is the visit of the angel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary. And she's very appropriately often referred to as the Virgin Mary. But again, her virginity was just, it was, it was just a natural offshoot of her purity. I think maybe a better way to refer to her is Mary the Chaste or Pure Mary or something like that. Because she was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. She was a virgin after she married Joseph. They abstained until after Jesus was born. But after that, they had resumed a normal marriage and they had a whole bunch of kids. One of whom is James that we've already quoted earlier today. She was still just as chaste just as holy, just as obedient to God. When she had lived for years and years as a full, full, every sense of the word wife with Joseph, she could still say, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Just like she did that day to the angel. And here's some more hope for you. Remember how dark and terrible it got with David? What he did was so messed up that he just about ruined all of God's plans, all of God's promises. It did destroy his family, his whole extended family. It destroyed several generations. It set up a whole bunch of stuff. It ended up setting the things up so that the kingdom split and the kingdom ended. It, it messed up a whole bunch of stuff. His brokenness, his completely giving himself over to God, uh, away from God but over to sin messed everything up. It was like his family tree just got cut off at the stump and dried up. And yet, one of these scriptures that we read at Christmas time, listen, it's from Isaiah 11. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. It's two long arms. Justice, but also mercy and love. It's there for all of us. And whatever has been cut off and is a dried up stump in your life, I promise you that if you completely surrender to God and completely invest in the good things that he's calling you into, he can still heal you today. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You did not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, and so you must honor God with your body. Here's the other thing we really need to focus on, is love. 
This is ultimately the big, big thing. The bullseye for believers is always going to be loving God with everything that we are and loving others the way that we want to be loved. Loving God with everything that we are and extending that love and respect and trust to other people, expecting that back from them. One way or another, this is where it should end up. The rest of that quote earlier, the really awkward quote from C.S. Lewis says this, true love makes a man really want not a woman, but one particular woman. In some mysterious but quite indisputable fashion, the lover desires the beloved herself, not the pleasure she can give. This is how God loves us. This is how he expects us to love him and how he expects to love each other. Not only the people that we end up marrying, which is the only context where the sexuality really gets to be expressed, but everyone. When we stop seeing everybody as an object or a potential object, we start to experience real love and real trust with everyone on a much deeper level. And it's hard. It's a struggle. It's a war. But this is what God is calling us into. How do you do that? On a daily basis, you have to choose to do that. You pray, you meditate, you read, you fellowship, you keep yourself accountable, you fast from things that weaken you and pull you away, you, you give, you do all the things, that all these spiritual disciplines every single day. Philippians 4.8 says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Focus on these things. In 1 Corinthians 7, that same chapter I referred to earlier, Paul also talks to single people. And I know we have a lot of single people out there today. Single for a lot of different reasons. And I know that that's lonely. And I know that's hard. I'd like to give you just a little bit of specific hope today. Paul actually says in this passage that he wishes that everyone who's a Christian would stay single. And he was single. And he loves the freedom that he has and he loves that he can concentrate on a bunch of other things. I, I want you to know you're not less than if you're single. It's not something that God is judging you. It's not something God is punishing you. It's not something that you can't, ex, ex, you can't experience life to the full. And who knows? He may have a relationship out there for you as well. But here's what we all need to concentrate on together as we wrap up this morning. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's for all of us. Whatever it takes to keep from being corrupted by the world in every area of our life, that is something that God says, this is the bottom line for me. You got to do it. Stay pure. The other side is show love. And there's nothing sexual about reaching out to orphans and widows. This is just purely just doing the right thing for other people, just serving them, just loving them. Treat everybody like that, including your spouse. So here's what I'm asking you this morning I'm asking you, please. 
please respond to God this morning the way he's asking you to respond. For some of you, that just might mean you're going to hug your spouse a little harder today. Smile at them more. Treasure them as a person a little more. Be a little kinder, a little more gentle. Some of you, you may have some serious things to work through. And today is your day to choose that you're going to do whatever it takes to work through them and break free of them. You might have some other decision that has nothing to do with this. When we have people come forward up here and stand there and over there and at the back to pray with you, it doesn't mean that you're praying about the exact same thing we're talking about that day, just so you know. It just means that you want prayer. Maybe you, you would like somebody to pray for you, and it can be about anything. So nobody judge anybody if they go to pray, okay? We don't know what that's about. But here's the thing. Whatever God is asking you to do this morning, please do it. Please do it. We're free. We can do it. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.